welcome to the Food and Beverage Leaders Podcast. I'm Andy Barr, owner of Barr Transportation. We're so glad you joined us today. Now, our mission here is very simple at Barr Transportation. It's to provide you with the most reliable and honest national transportation for your goods, paired with proactive communication throughout the entire life of the load. Now, this podcast is designed exactly for you. It's for sales managers, produce managers, logistics managers, traffic managers, the entire C-suite, anyone else who really wants to perform at the top of their game in this global food and beverage industry. So whether you're big or small, West Coast or East Coast, this podcast is meant for you. Now make sure to stick around at the end of each show and we'll reveal how you can apply to be on the show yourself so you can grow your authority, build partnerships, and help your business boom. Interviews are about 15 to 20 minutes long. And I'll leave you with my favorite quote, preparation plus opportunity equals success. That's it. I'll see you on the inside. Enjoy this episode. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Food and Beverage Leaders Podcast. Today, we're with Shay Myers with Owyhee Produce out of Boise, Idaho. Shay, welcome and thank you for being on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yes, 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 sir. Uh, Shay, a lot to get jam-packed in here with today's talk. You are like the top veteran of the onion space. Uh, you know, you're, you're with Hawaii Produce that I, I see feeds about 6 million Americans every year. Um, so obviously a pretty large operation there in Boise. But before we go, why onions? Kind of let's step back and, you know, where'd you go to school? Kind of where, where, where are you from? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I am uh, I'm from uh, about 800 yards from where I'm sitting here today. I'm from Nyssa, Oregon. Okay. Uh, I'm actually, uh, our, our packing operations are in Parma, Idaho. That's a, you know, just a, an area that's right on the Oregon-Idaho border. Um, I, I grew up as a farm kid. Uh, I, I grew up around agriculture. I really didn't think I wanted to be a farmer. I didn't think I wanted to come back to the farming operation. And uh, as I, I got a little bit older, matured a little bit, and uh, recognize the, uh, you know, blood, sweat, tears, and legacy that came, you know, that was, that was built before I was ever even a, a thought in anyone's mind. I, uh, I decided that I, I should at least give uh, the operation a chance. So I, I was at Boise State. I graduated in 2005, and uh, the family knew that we should be participating in, in fresh pack onions. We weren't doing that at the time. We were growing onions, but we weren't fresh packing. And uh, my family has always been very uh, willing to uh, take risk and take risk with family members and to provide opportunities uh, with the expectation that it would create something in the future. So they threw me to the wolves. I made lots of uh, mistakes. I did a few things right. And uh, today we're probably in the top 10 largest grower shipper packers uh, in the country. So it's been a pretty wild ride for the last 15, 16 years. Wow. Wow. So did you have to get some experience before your family was like going to, you know, give you a shot at with the, with the family business or looks like, you know, you had some time with buck naked onions. Can you touch on that? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, buck naked onions is actually uh, the, the processing side. So it was another vertical that we were able to take with the byproduct. So there's a lot of byproduct, um, you know, non-perfect looking onions that are perfectly usable. And so that the, the buck naked side came as a way to reduce food waste and to, you know, try and follow the value chain a little bit further. And that's, that's how I ended up being, being part of that. Really, it, it came after. Uh, the family took the risk with me on the packing operation uh, because we started small, right? We just, 
-hmm. We started with a rented packing facility. We learned how to uh, pack onions on a very small scale and just kind of incrementally grew uh, the, the packing operation in the business over about a decade and a half. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, as they say, you know, you got to take risk to start a business and obviously to grow the business, you have to take more risk um, and, you know, more risk, more reward. Right. So, you know, that's what you you hope. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, It's not guaranteed, but uh, you got to go for it. And obviously you guys are doing well being one of the top 10 onion growers, packers and uh, shippers. What, um, you know, as you look at the onion market as a whole, right, 30,000 foot level, uh, nationally and in Idaho, what's going on? Is there uh, mergers and acquisition happening? Are people leaving the space because it's too competitive and, and just really tough? Or are people entering the space because there's more opportunity? How to, you know, kind of go over the kind of high level aspect. Yeah, uh, I mean, onion production in the United States is certainly a very mature market. I, realistically, I mean, it's since the beginning of agriculture, I mean, onions are one of the most consumed uh, consistently consumed vegetables in the United States. So it's, it's always been around. Uh, in this area, it started in the 30s and 40s and has continued since then. So there's, you know, a lot of old players were still, you know, 15 years in, we're still the baby or one of the babies, uh, you know, in the industry. Uh, it's, I wouldn't say that it's, it's growing. I wouldn't say that it's shrinking. There are some, you know, mergers that have taken place and there will be more mergers that continue to take place as time goes on. It's very, very low margin, especially right now. And so I would, I would expect there to, you know, expect to see more consolidation in the market. Uh, but I think that's, that's, that's not unique to onions. Uh, it's, it's pretty right. common within agriculture in general. We're just not making much. Our margins are very, very slim right now. They will continue to be that way until more of those, you know, until there's more consolidation. And uh, there's some cultural shift within the industry itself, actually. Okay, very good. And that, that makes sense, right? Take advantage of the kinds of scale and, and uh, grow through acquisition. So uh, with, with being a food shipper, you know, in Idaho, a lot of potatoes in Idaho, you got onions, you, you know, you're, you're in that potato, onion, apple country up in the Northwest. Uh, you got to have labor, obviously, you got to have reliable labor, you got to have productive labor. How do you recruit, train and retain your labor? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, it, it depends on which aspect of the labor pool we're talking about. Like entry level stuff has shifted from what used to be uh, migrant workers that would go from Texas to California to uh, Idaho and then back down to Texas and California. Like would kind of make this circular motion uh, around the country, and that that's gone away. In about the last fifteen years, frankly, about the time I started, it was when, and probably five years before that, that was mostly ending. So. What we have is a, a domestic workforce that lives here and has lived here for uh, at least a generation for the most part, usually 15, 20, 25, sometimes 30 years. Uh, those folks you, we, we bring in, and one of the distinct advantages, frankly, that I have uh, that has helped for employee retainment is uh, I'm, I'm, I speak Spanish. So I, nice. I can get employees that would be otherwise, that have a phenomenal skill set, a great work ethic, but don't have... The, the communication skills in English that they need to for that upward mobility. So what we found in our company is a lot, a lot of people that have had that upward mobility because they're able to communicate uh, um, more profoundly and, and on a more significant level than that they could if they were trying to use basic English skills or if I was trying to use basic Spanish skills. So that's one thing. And one thing that a lot of people don't think of, but your, your communication, your language is going to not just to limit the employees, but you as an employer, it can limit you as well. So Spanish 
and using that language um, and and having that fluency has has been invaluable uh, in being able to you know grow people from within. Uh, then sure. the next level for employees would be um, we because that that domestic pool is drying up. We do a lot of H two A workers that come from Mexico. That's a temporary ag worker, um, and those those folks come in on a temporary basis, eight, seven, eight, nine months at a time. Um, into the positions that we can't fill with that domestic workforce. Okay. Okay. And, you know, is there anything beyond the language aspect? Is it maybe respecting certain Latino holidays or, you know, maybe the way you respect the workday? Maybe it's, you know, there's a little break in the middle of the day or, or you know, is it anything culturally, right, that beyond the actual language? No, well, culture is, I mean, but I, I mean, national culture, aside from your work culture is critical mm -hmm. and understanding um, the way these folks do want to work um, certainly has an impact. We share a lot of meals together because that's important to them. Nice. It's really enjoyable for me to be able to sit down and have a, essentially a potluck, what we would call a potluck and, and, and share those meals together in that time with one another. Right. When, and another thing is that flexibility, a, a lot of places, entry level or, you know, middle, middle skilled work, because I don't like the, the word non-skilled is absolutely not true. Uh, but this, you know, the, the, these middle skilled jobs, I like to think that, you know, the ability that they have to not just have to show up at seven o'clock or eight o'clock every day and work until five and there's zero flexibility and you can't go to your kids um, play and you can't go to your kids soccer game and you have to be here every single day. We've been very flexible from the very beginning, realizing that people have families and lives and things sure. that they need to do. And that that's something that, you know, I, I've had a lot of people that have left and have come not right back, but they come back relatively quickly. Uh, and, and the reason isn't, isn't pay. Um, it's, it's culture and it's, and frankly, it comes down to that work flexibility. The, the fact that they're not just a person showing up to do a job um, and they have to, you know, put that, that widget in that little hole every 22 seconds but that they're a real person doing a real job and, and we work around their real life so that right. they can, they can stay here. The other thing is the, the, the ability to grow within the company. You know, there's a lot of people that have been able to do that and have gone from an entry level job at, you know, 10 or $11 an hour. And today they're on a salary. Oh, that's, that's great. Yeah. And, and those are such universal concepts. Doesn't matter if you're, you're growing onions or, or, you know, squash or, you know, or another, food commodity you know if you treat people right you, you take care take care of them with, with pay but also just knowing hey they're a person they might need to skip out to go watch a kid's soccer game uh with with the carriers that we partner with right our our favorite ones they they uh they don't force dispatch their drivers right they say hey you want some home time okay you know so it's all you know people are people it's, it's businesses is with people right so exactly um Okay, so moving on to the operations. So you're running a, a large business here. You have your cost of goods sold. And of course, with you know crazy inflation right now, um, how are you controlling or what are you doing to do your best to control that rising cost of food? That's a really good question. I mean, I think it's more about managing and trying to keep your finger on, on the pulse of what's happening as it changes. It's happening so quickly that what what in the past would have been a minor error, you know, a, a minor uh, calculation error is something that's significant enough that you could be put out of business. 
So what we have done in the last just few months, uh, about eight months ago, is, is brought a controller in-house. Instead of using just our accountant, we have a controller. Uh, the idea uh, with that controller is to help us manage those costs and what we're doing more actively to get a handle on things more quickly and therefore be able to react better and, and keep ourselves in business. That's really good. Yeah, bringing someone who can really, you know, their only role is to analytically think and analyze about, okay, how can we make this business as efficient as possible? So exactly. And uh, fortunate enough, you are large enough, right, to, to bring someone in like that. Um, let's say you're a small shipper, right? And you can't afford an extra person right now. Uh, I'm not sure what, what those, you know, cost, but you know what I mean? Like, what would you recommend to a small grower that, uh, or packer that just started maybe, and is, is facing those same food costs that everyone is. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it comes down to, you can do the math fairly quickly. If you look at what all of your input items um, are costing you. Um, and if we're looking at the farming side, you can look at uh, all your fertilizer, your NPK, whatever, what that percentage increase is and, and come up with the back of a napkin, you know, calculation pretty quickly. Uh, on the packing side, you can do something similar. We know that pallets are up, you know, hundred percent. We know that um, yeah. pallet wraps up 60%. We know that bag costs are up 30%, you know, and, and even if you just do a, a, a weighted average, if you will, of all of those items and, and take into account what that's going to represent at the end of the day and make sure that you're asking for that. Uh, you don't have to have it down to the penny and you don't have it, have to have it exactly right, but you do have to have, uh, a, a, a snapshot that makes you hold those that you're selling to accountable, right? It's really easy for, and I, and we ran into that at the beginning of this contracting season, folks that were like, well, look, that, that I'm only going to give you 6% for your 2021 contract. And frankly, all of my neighbors and my competitors did the same thing. So we ended up with a 6% increase when our, probably our actual increase of cost at that point was probably 10 to 15%. Wow. Um, you, so you, you, you have to, you want to make sure that you have those numbers and you hold your ground and you hope that those that are, are around you within your industry are, are quick enough and proactive enough to realize what those costs are. Because I, I guess the good news in this whole thing is when it's 30 or 40%, like it's going to be for 2022, is this what it looks like right now? Mm -hmm. 30, 30% conservatively. If, if my, if, if my competitor decides to go out with 2021 prices, they'll be out of business in one year. That's the good news. It's the bad news for that person. But it's the good news for the rest of us that are trying to be proactive and, and will are not willing to take those cheaper contracts. It's like, okay, go ahead and take it. But you're, you're going to hemorrhage so much and lose so much so quickly that you won't be in business in, you know, in 12 or 13 months. Right. You'll, you'll, you'll lose some contracts short term, but in the long run, you'll still be in business, right? Exactly. You'll, you'll, exactly. So I mean, think in the it long works run, out yeah. the way that it should. Yes. You'll still be in business. I mean, at 30% yeah. price increases, I mean, I, we're all at risk every single day. Uh, regardless, I mean, uh, those of us in agriculture, at least because we, we're, we're still price takers. We can try and set prices for a, a percentage of our crops, but we're mm -hmm. still price takers. So we, but, but we can raise the floor. And I, and I guess if I was talking to any shipper, that would be the thing, make sure that you're raising the floor for yourself and for the industry and for those contracts so that, you know, you're taking into account what the actual, to the best that you can calculate what those are uh, and, and uh, you know, hold out because if we were in a different industry, um, you know, that's what we would have to do. That's what we need to do. Smart advice, smart advice. Okay. So as we kind of, you know, wrap up here, do you have any, maybe a new type of onion or 
any new programs coming out, anything you want to touch on, tell our listeners. Yeah, the uh, probably the coolest thing we really have, we, we did the initial introduction last year, is a uh, what we call our Wicked Sweet Red Onion. Um, that's a, a, a tearless red onion that's been in the works for, well, the seed breeders started on it over 20 years ago. We're the only grower here in the United States. It's an amazing onion. Wow. I, it's hard to get excited about onions well, if you're not <laughs> in the onion industry, but you know, for me, when you can... When you can take an onion and bite into it and, uh, you know, just chomp on it and you're not, you know, tearing up and crying and right. <laughs> uh, you, you got something special. And, and that's really probably the most exciting thing that we have. Um, we, we continue to work on uh, distinct shipping points throughout the nation just to try and relieve some of the pressure as these logistics challenges come into place. The inability to cover loads on occasion to, you know, point X, Y, or Z to have a backup, a plan B or C so that we make sure that we take care of our customers is probably the other component that we're really working on to make sure uh, to keep our customers happy and, and in supply. Definitely. Yeah, I know you touched on logistics. So uh, what, yeah, what, what are you doing to kind of have backup plans to, like you said, you want to make sure those loads are covered in a timely fashion. Of course, you know, sometimes it has to be pushed a day or two, but you know, uh, maybe just reaching out to more companies or, uh, you know, what are your recruiting efforts, I guess, if that's the right term. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really challenging to decide what the, the best um, move is. We did start with, uh, with, we brought more in-house transportation guys in to help source uh, operators um, and to, you know, just be available to, to communicate more quickly, to try and re- reduce some of the friction. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one. The, the other is to, uh, you know, we've, we've used alternative or looking at alternative methods for shipping where traditionally we have not been a rail shipper and we set the, the ball in motion last season to be able to ship rail cars in, in 2021. So we've started shipping rail cars, um, to, and, and that just takes, you know, every rail is four semis, right? Mm-hmm. So that takes some pressure off as well. And, and I guess the other thing is just to work regionally. Uh, the, the regional halls are a lot easier to cover than the, you know, coast to coast type of stuff. You know, if we're trying to go to the Northeast, New York, New Jersey, um, or to Miami or Orlando, you know, on the other end of the, or the, the Southern part of the country, those are the lanes of the hardest to cover and then the most expensive. So can we find, you know, other locations? And I think that's really the thing. We, we just had a, a marketing meeting uh, with our sales team today. I think that's the really the, the most interesting thing. Like with these freight prices, I say nothing fixes. My grandpa used to say this all the time. Nothing fixes high prices like high prices. Um, you know, with, with freight costing what it is today, um, one of two things is going to happen. Either the freight's eventually going to come down and, and has to, or the, the, the lanes that traditionally existed from the, the West Coast to the East Coast are going to dry up. Sure. Um, and, and we're in flux right now where we haven't lost all of our East coast customers, but we have lost a significant amount of our East coast business. Um, we can replace that with rail possibly, but that's not a perfect alternative, especially for someone like a retailer who wants, you know, just in time delivery, they want the best quality they want, right. you know, every it, shipping by rail just doesn't work for those people. So do, do those retailers start to source from, uh, the Northeast? Or do they find an alternative shipping method or do they consolidate? I mean, there's, there's all these things that come into play, but one thing's for sure. Like you, we can't continue. It's, it, it's not going to work uh, when there's as much competition as there is for onions and potatoes to, you know, spend nine, 10, $11,000 to ship from Idaho to New York. 
Absolutely. Right, right. And, you know, being November 1st, Florida just started its produce season down there. So that should help a little bit with inbound Florida. But, you know, it's it's tough either way. Uh, and then it's, you know, then you face the September, August, July, where Florida typically dies down after the produce season. And then, yeah, it's back to high prices again. So you never know. But uh, yeah, I, I, I second your thoughts on the regional. If it gets so expensive, there's just not it's not worth it, right, to ship it, uh, you know, across the country. So hopefully we won't get to that point. Hopefully the, uh, you know, the, the robots with uh, no drivers needed will fix it, but that might take a while, you know, and, and plus it's all cyclical, right? Like you said, it's going to be, uh, these high rates will will subside and it might just take a, you know, a year or so, but it'll be uh, ebb and flow like uh, like all markets, so. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, yeah. time will tell for sure. Absolutely. Okay, Shay. Well, let's say let's say people want to connect with you. Um, what you have a you know, what's the best website? Or maybe if they literally want to connect with you personally, or your marketing team, your sales team. How how does one connect? Yeah, the, the, probably the easiest thing is to find us on Owyhee Produce. Uh, Owyhee is O W Y H E E. Look us up on online there if you want to check out the you know the items that we have for sale. I mean the onion items that we have for sale. <laughs> and uh, if you want to connect with me directly, probably the best place is LinkedIn. Uh, you'll find me, uh, Shay Myers, on LinkedIn. If for some reason you want some, uh, you know, other quasi-interesting uh, farm facts that are a little bit more uh, consumer-driven, you can find me on Instagram or TikTok at Shay Farm Kid. There you go, Shay Myers, Hawaii Produce. Thank you very much, sir, and best of luck for the rest of the quarter. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Food and Beverage Leaders Podcast. I'm Andy Barr with Barr Transportation. Now, if you are a successful leader in the food and beverage space, believe in your company, and want to share your story, really look no further. All you have to do is go to bartrans, B-A-H-R-T-R-A-N-S.com, forward slash podcast, forward slash apply, to apply to be on the show. Lastly, if you enjoyed listening to our show, please consider sharing the link or screenshot on your social media account. We want to help as many people as possible truly believe education and discussion is where it all starts. Of course, if you know someone that would be a great guest, connect with us and we'll explore to see if it's a good fit. Again, thank you for listening to the Food and Beverage Leaders Podcast. And as always, we'll leave you with our favorite quote, preparation plus opportunity equals success. Now go crush life and we'll see you again soon.